right. Welcome, everyone, to the Tori Sess Show. Today is the 28th of March, 2023. There is a T-shirt on the screen, guys. After I flew in yesterday, I had that waiting. So I can't wait to sport that shirt today. Now, we have a lot to talk about. There's a lot going on, but I think it's time that we get into some Geek Edition information and understand more about... um, Should I use air quotes when saying science? Should I do that? Science. The science behind science. I think it's important for us to understand it. Now, today we're going to talk about mRNA tech. And the reason that I, but we're not even going to touch upon it, really. I'm going to introduce you to something that I've been talking about for years, uh, hoping that uh, the right ears uh, understand it. Uh, So, a uh, primary example that I have provided over and over and over again um, in regards to genetics more than anything is the fact that, uh, you know, when I was in college and we were learning about um, gel- electrophoresis, you know, just to find specific loci, et cetera, et cetera, right? Um, the whole class did it. And the way they could do it was by demonstrating that we all have a specific LU element that indicates that we are of primates. Now, um, I didn't have it. And so humans technically cannot exist without the LU element because it's an integral part of the human genome. It's a specific LU element, a type of retrotransposon, which can jump or transpose itself into different locations uh, within the genome. Now, uh, this is um, um, located, according to mainstream science, because, you know, uh, (laughs) we can't go again mainstream science. We all came from monkeys. Um, It distinguishes the people that actually have primate DNA, which is supposedly all of them, and those that do not. It is very unique to primates and thought to have originated uh, 65 million years ago, according to uh, mainstream science, and it has undergone rapid expansion and diversification uh, within the primate genome. Therefore, humans cannot exist without uh, this specific uh, ALU element. Now, If someone actually lacks the ALU element, which is an integral part of the alleged human genome that's found in all individuals, it's impossible. And I remember my professor saying it's impossible that um, I don't have it, which was um, fascinating in the sense that, you know, at that point, I didn't have the knowledge to comprehend what he was trying to say. Now, um... Aside from the fact that it's not possible for a human to lock the ALU element um, because it is an integral part of the human genome, it is a type that is where and why they say that human beings derive from primates. Now, you know, people are going to be like, are you saying you're not a primate? Well, I'll tell you what. You shared the, uh, the majority of your DNA is shared with bananas, okay, and with other eukaryotes across this, you know, Biodome. So, um, 
I want to explain to you what this is, and this is why, uh, you know, when COVID hit, I was looking at the code, and I found it quite interesting that it seemed to have um, an effect on left-dominant um, genome sequences, and I'll get more specific uh, in that. So... Uh, I found it really odd uh, because I could see the graphene seams, which means that they were actually, it was genetically created, <laughs> genetically modified. You know, when you, it was created in a lab. Okay. Let's just, it was made in a lab. And the funny thing is it was targeting a receptor that was quite fascinating. Now it was indirectly affecting specific areas of the body. Now, let me give you an example between, well, you know what, actually, let me show you a video that um, is pretty cool that shows you how a virus attacks a cell. It's a, a minute long clip. It's pretty cool. It's from five years ago um, before COVID. Should we, uh, you know how we have BC? This is before COVID, right? Um, let me share this with you so you guys can uh, see how viruses interact because a lot of people uh, comment and, and say things and they think they have ideas of how things work. So today what I want to do is actually um, show you a superpower, shall I call it a superpower, that um, uh, your genetic code has. And I'm going to show you why we are failing in medicine um, and in other elements because we're not using similes. And this is something, you know, if I had the ability, I'd be at a university for the rest of my life. Not kidding. Uh, pretty much exploring the um, biological software that we have uh, in, in the sense of analyzing it to that point, I guess. I want to be measured with my words. <laughs> so let me share this with you quickly. I found this on YouTube and it shows how a virus attacks a cell. Contact. This is the moment when infection begins. How does infection happen? You see the tiny shapes there on the virus particle surface? They seem like random blobs. In reality, they are tiny keys, proteins that have evolved to the perfect shape and size, enabling them to unlock these receptors on the surface of this lung cell. Like a smile and a handshake, the virus deceives this lung cell and is welcomed in, where it will command the cell to make more virus particles. So that is how it happens. It's a handshake. I've talked about this before, that they have highly specific regions. And uh, this is basically the science of all pharmaceuticals, that uh, they create medications that bind to these receptors and trick them either to keep them busy so they don't repopulate or to satisfy them to make them shut up. And I've explained this when uh, describing drug abuse uh, in individuals uh, that have... Uh, uh, indulged in, uh, I would say, uh, opioids, right? Because that's where it's at. Now, before we get into more of this, you know, should I be brave enough and put this on YouTube? I probably should, because this is more information. I don't know. Worst thing they can do is ban me. I mean, they would be dumb during litigation, but you know, 
Oops, did I say that out loud? I did. All right, so. Um, all right, let me just stream to Facebook and YouTube now. Okay, so there we're there. We're there. So as 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 you saw in that short video, um, we are we observe how a virus enters. It literally tricks the receptor to think, "Hey, dude, you know I'm on the list of this club and I'm coming in." Right. So. Uh, and it goes in and does the damage it does, uh, you know, hijacks your internal mechanisms of that cell and then fills it up with so many viruses that the, the cell literally, uh, you know, explodes. It's called lysis and all of it goes everywhere. Now, it's basically how it is, but we're not going to talk about that. I want to talk to you about um, transposable elements. Now, there is this biology professor, get this. I have watched her before. Um, actually, uh, I will share it. It's a seven-minute video. And this is for people, okay, that have some science background. I'm here because I know a lot of my listeners are not science proficient. Uh, and, and, and it's important that education is done just like interpreting to, you know, a third to fifth grade level. And it's not an insulting thing, but, you know, I always tell people, explain it to me like a four-year-old when they explain things that I don't understand. But what I'm going to show to you today is, uh, exactly what this, um, mass experiment was for and why it's so dangerous, uh, considering the location. So when pulling, uh, the, RNA information they had in 2020, if you remember before anyone talked about hydroxychloroquine, I had already started talking about it, right? And that's because I, uh, you know, you can believe it, you can not believe it, I really don't care. It's, for me, it's fact, right? Um, I shared a desk with a guy that actually found the correlation between hindering HIV transmission through sexual intercourse. So having prostitutes that are HIV positive, hang, having sex with people that are not, um, which is weird. <laughs> Again, how do you find people that participate in that stuff, but whatever. And what they did was they examined the um, rate of infection, the rates of infection for people that had malaria. And uh, they had two groups groups. They had those that were infected with malaria that were not on anti-malaria drugs. And then the other group were people who had malaria or were on anti-malarial drugs during the time of the intercourse with this HIV positive prostitute. And it turned out that um, the people that were taking hydroxychloroquine uh, to combat malaria because they had it or as a preventative measure would not contract HIV. So this is why in early March of 2020, I was talking about it because it, um, it has viral, how do I say? It has specific mechanisms to kind of like the lock and key handshake thing to disturb the process of viral infection. I, 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 I hope that is as flat as I can make it. <laughs> now, the one thing that nobody talks about, you know, and, and I see a lot of people talking about CRISPR and mRNA technology, how amazing it is. Uh, you know, here's where it's not amazing. And I think um, programmers can understand that more. And this is why I always say my ideal job would have been to just be sitting at a desk and, you know, um, bringing it all out. Um, through uh, computational genetics, I would say, because your DNA is clearly software, 
it's just software and it's biologically based. And the problem that we have is that we don't have enough people uh, deriving knowledge from things that they know. You know, this is why I have always said I love math and physics. You know, uh, mathematicians or physicists that are aimless is what I <laughs> what I always joke about. Whereas, you know, um, physicists apply the mathematics, right? Um, and then that's why I TA'd at uh, the physics department uh, when I was doing my own little, you know, assignment there. So. When looking at things, I noticed that I came across, and I've talked about this before, junk DNA, but specifically the ALU elements that we have, which are called jumping genes. And that is a, a, one way that you can um, identify it as a simile for those that are in programming. It's almost like a jump statement right? So what are jump statements? In computer programming, a jump statement is like a control st structure that allows um, a program to transfer control to another part of the program. Um, so if, if your body or your program doesn't want to run a certain script, it can jump over to the specific section of code based on a condition as to why. Um, and you use that kind of statement. Or if you want to loop through a section of code until something is met, then you use a jump statement. So there's break statements, continue statements, go-to statements. This is this is for my computer programmers out there. But in, in essence, jump statements are a way that programmers control the flow of their programs to make them more efficient and flexible. Now, one thing we understand is that uh, the human body is an incredible machine and uh, it is efficient, right? Sometimes when you look at processes, and I've seen this before because I, I went to different laboratories, I uh, participated in a lot of research, both in pharmaceutical, uh, direct patient medical, and um, on a molecular um, biology side. Uh, people were making things a lot more complex than they needed to. Occam's razor is always the way. And, uh, you know, to think of such an amazing and incredible um, structure like the human body as a piece of, you know, like a computer. Like think of yourself as a walking tower, right? It is one of the most efficient things. There are a million things being done at the same time that you're not even aware of. Just that's how good it runs. So when people would overcomplicate things, you know, I would watch really smart people, you know, say things that made no sense. Like, um, there was this one lab, uh, that I, um, freely went into. He was my professor and he was studying the P53 pathways, which are uh, highly important, um, in, in regards to cancer, right? Because the P53 sites are responsible for apoptosis. So your body knows it's no good and it gets rid of it. Right. But um, when I saw this huge uh, cellular um, uh, communication graphic that he had plastered on a wall for all his research assistants, you know, I was like, well, why are you doing all that? Look over there, nitrous oxide. And I remember I just passed by because it didn't make sense that something was missing. And that's where he pivoted 
And I remember his first name was Eric. I don't remember his last name. It's It's been a while. And he looked at me. He's like, wait, what do you mean? And I was like, well, you know, you're doing all these things, but it's the nitrous oxide that, that, that kicks it off. You're missing that. And indeed, he pivoted his research almost in a few weeks to focus on that because that was the missing element. And the reason is, is because his eyes were seeing what science tells him and he didn't think of the outside parameters, um, you know, because everybody looks, you know, within their element. So if you ask a computer programmer to, to, to look at a problem about putting up a shelf, right, they're going to see it with different eyes than a guy who works in construction. And with different eyes than someone who would, you know, be a homemaker or an artist, right? So that's that's completely normal and expected. Now, um, having said that, allow me to introduce to you this biology professor. Okay, so she is so thorough. I I could have sat here, but I don't have my whiteboard because I haven't set up my studio yet. It's in my cart. And, you know, when I, when I uh, cash out my rumble rants, I'll get it because I can show you these things, not only just for science stuff and stuff we need to know, but laws too, right? But she did a great job on this whiteboard where it's more interactive. And I wanted to share it with you guys because it's an incredible um, explanation of transposable elements. And that's where portions of your DNA literally move to another location. Now, Uh, I remember in my chat seeing a lot of people when I was talking about corn, how there is no real corn anymore, um, pretty much uh, asking, you know, what do you mean? Because we don't have any real corn anymore. All of it is genetically modified. Now, it was actually done on its own too, uh, but I don't believe that. There's always a hand in things. And while people say, are you saying that the Aztecs and the, you know, those old civilizations did it? And I'm like, well, you know, the people that gave you math and science said that there were mermaids and centaurs. So either they were all crazy or they were really playing God with genetics back then and you were just not aware. So always take a step back when, you know, and trying to judge something based on whatever facts they're giving you. Because I think this video will allow you to understand why your genetic code is so important. Here we go. Welcome to Biology Professor. In today's video, we're going to be discussing transposable elements, which are a pretty cool feature in the human genome and in genomes of other organisms as well. So what are transposable elements? Specifically, they are sequences of DNA that can actually move from one location in the genome to another location in the genome. And because they can do that, move around in the genome, they have the special name that you may have heard of jumping genes. Again, that's because they can jump from one place in the genome to somewhere completely different in the genome. Now, the process of moving from one place to another involves recombination. And specifically, when we're talking about transposable elements, this movement is called transposition. And also, transposable elements, they are not always harmless. In fact, they are often mutagenic. Mutagenic because they can interrupt other genes. This means that if you have a transposable element, 
leave its original place in the genome and move to a different place in the genome, sometimes the place to where it moves is right in the middle of another gene. And by disrupting or interrupting that other gene, that other gene may no longer be functional, resulting in phenotypic change and sometimes even disease. And so that is where the mutagenic property comes from. Now, there are two different types of transposable elements. These are transposons and retrotransposons. Let's talk about each one and how they are different from each other. Transposons may or may not leave a copy behind. That means that when they move from one location in the genome to another, they may leave a copy of themselves in the old location. We consider that a kind of copy and paste mechanism. They may also not leave a copy behind and have a more cut and paste mechanism where they leave the old location, do not leave a copy of themselves behind, and just go to the new location. Now, transposons are able to move because they encode a gene for an enzyme called transposase. So transposase is the enzyme that catalyzes their excision or removal from the original place and their reintegration or recombination into the new location. If you are interested in learning about how enzymes work, how they catalyze these kinds of situations, then please see my video titled Introduction to Enzymes. Now let's talk about retrotransposons. These always leave a copy behind. So there is always a copy of the retrotransposon in the old location and an identical copy in the new location. So always a copy and paste mechanism rather than cut and paste. They use a different kind of enzyme, specifically reverse transcriptase. And in addition to using reverse transcriptase, they also work through an RNA intermediate. This means that you have the DNA, the DNA that is the transposable element. It gets copied into an RNA intermediate. The RNA intermediate is then reverse transcribed by reverse transcriptase back into DNA. And that second portion of DNA is what gets integrated into the new location in the genome while the original DNA is left behind in the original position. Now you may have heard of this kind of mechanism before, where reverse transcriptase is used to convert an RNA intermediate into DNA. And that would be in a type of virus called retroviruses. And in fact, these retrotransposons may be evolutionarily related to retroviruses. Retroviruses, the most common one you've heard of probably is HIV. Now let's talk about a couple of examples of transposable elements. They were first discovered in maize by a woman named Barbara McClintock, who actually won the Nobel Prize for her discovery. 
it was found that these transposable elements by jumping around in the genome could actually interrupt genes for pigment color, leading to the kernels of the maize having different colors. Transposable elements have also been found in bacteria, and importantly, some transposable elements actually carry antibiotic resistance genes. And these genes can move back and forth from chromosomal DNA into plasmid DNA and back again, and can, can actually create some, uh, some medically important antibiotic resistant bacteria. Now, if you're interested in learning more about antibiotic resistance in bacteria, why it's important, how it's harmful for human health, then please see my video on antibiotic resistant bacteria. And finally, these transposable elements, they're found in many different organisms, including humans. The most common type in humans are known as allo sequences. And allo sequences are actually very, very common in the human genome. There are many, many, many copies of them, and they can create some health issues. They've actually been linked to several cancers, and that goes back to the mutagenic properties, because these allo sequences can copy themselves and hop around and interrupt other genes, that interruption can actually result in a variety of different types of cancers. I really hope you guys enjoyed her. Uh, I, I want to be her friend, uh, but, <laughs> you know, her explanation was perfect. I know a lot of you that don't understand science much understood that. Now, for those of you that are techies, and I have no capabilities whatsoever, so I'm alleging here, when you're looking at something forensically, right, the first thing you try to do is to reverse engineer whatever program uh, you see. So we use different tools. Like if you get um, people hanging out in your computer, you would use a program like Cyber Triage to trap it. And then that way, see what kind of scripts it's running, what's it going to connect to, where it's going to send the information to and everything. So now if you take a look at our genetic history, and this is how the approach is, you take what you have and you try to see the reverse engineering of it. So I have talked to you about corn because everyone's like, you know, and corn is the only thing we can't digest, right? And someone actually put out this wicked meme that their child sent to them. And I'm going to, hold on, let me see if I can get it quickly so I can put it on the screen for those that um, aren't part of um, Telegram, but it's very important that um, people understand what this meme is really saying because it's, uh, you know, for me as a nerd, it says something different to someone else seeing it who just knows because, you know, they've been to the toilet and they've, th and they've seen corn. <laughs> but I think it's important that you understand the statement of this. So hold on, let me put this on the screen. So the statement says, the world may be chewing me up and shitting me out, but I'm built like a piece of corn. I mean that they're intact even though they're chewed up and spit out. So again, one of the most genetically modified, and they're alleging that it's natural, is maize, is corn. So the corn that existed, uh, you know, thousands of years ago uh, with the Mayans and the Aztecs, you know, because they use maize a lot in, in uh, Central and South America, 
for food um, is so genetically modified that we don't know what real corn used to be. Well, we can because we can reverse engineer it and see where the changes are. But here's the the kicker. Uh, Transponsons, um, those that don't leave any information behind, clearly jump and change. And this is the explanation that they're using in regards to the ALU sequences um, when referring to mankind deriving from ape, which is, you know, nothing happens without pressure or intervention. So kind of like, you know, I remember sitting in a classroom. I actually had these interactions with um, two professors one at Harvard and one actually at Moscow and another guy who um, recently passed away that was a uh, plant physiologist um, who, believe it or not, um, was teaching at Minot State University, this Russian guy. Um, he loved plants. But the, 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 the whole premise of my conversations with them was to, to understand certain loci. Now, when I was delving into the research for COVID right back in early 2020, which I assumed I solved, so but I didn't say that. Um, I noticed that the spike protein that was recreated obviously was had HIV in it because allegedly they know it. Now, the issue that I had is the location. So the ACE2 receptor is found on the X chromosome at a specific location called the XP22.2. So it's all twos, right? And there are uh, very important ALU elements that are located in the same vicinity of the ACE2 protein. And uh, those are the SX, the JB, the YB8, the SX1, and the SG. Um, these ALU elements near the ACE2 gene. Now, people and even chat GPT says there's no necessarily implying a functional role of regulating the expression or function. That's bullshit. So ALU elements that are found around specific genes that have been determined, you know, throughout time or what they're allowing you to know, right? is 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 there for a reason. A coder will not have any jump codes, right, or jump statements or go-tos around a program if they're not using it. So, you know, again, I like, this is why I like information theory, right? <laughs> because you can prove stuff. And with medicine, it's all like who funds you and what you can really prove. So, Sometimes using other models, kind of like trying to understand cancer, right? Um, when I was uh, focusing in that domain, I uh, went and took plant pathology classes because I was interested in figuring out, uh, you know, cancer in plants. And you're going to be like, plants don't get cancer. Well, they actually do. Uh, they're called crown galls. So they kind of uh, look like cancer. Uh, they're like these, they look like uh, mm, what do you call them? Oh gosh, slipping my mind. I just remembered the vegetable in all languages, but English. Hold on. Um, cauliflower. There we go. So they look like cauliflower on the sides of trees or plants. I'm sure many of you that are into plants or at some point have seen that. So 
you know, when I sat there with this professor and he's one of the most amazing minds when it comes to plants, like you would think he's a plant. His name is Dr. Vincelli. I actually challenged what he said because uh, he was introducing the inoculation sequences within plants and I challenged it. And that's where I got into Bonnie Bassler because I realized that the only reason there was cancer was because there was miscommunication between a bacteria and um, uh, another, um, you know, uh, uh, a cell from uh, with a plant cell, basically. So they made it. That's what the cancer is. Now, uh, again, when you want to look at genetic code, the smart way to do it is to not have more so um, molecular biologists, but someone that's actually very well-versed in informatics, right? Because if you don't understand how computers work, you're not going to understand how um, molecular and cellular signaling work, even though they're different in the sense of, you know, one is one that you're programming. Don't forget your body's also programmed. And those are just, you know, proteins on, you know, Armstrong level (laughs) size, uh, you know, scenarios that are are tangible, whereas your code that you write is, well, I guess intangible. The tangible product is after you do it. So, you know, the smart way of fixing things is to use smart people that can see similes in things and reverse engineer. So now we're going to get into... Um, uh, the same, I, I, I think I've shown the Amoeba Sisters a few times throughout the years, and I want to take you guys to the Amoeba Sisters again um, so you can understand gene regulation and the order of operon. Now, the reason I say this is we're going to delve into understanding how important these ALU elements are in regards to gene amplification and silencing. Um, as well. So I think this is just kind of like a basic intro. Um, They've got really good educational videos. So for those of you that homeschool your kids, these amoeba sisters are really, really good. So take a look at this quick clip so you can get kind of like a basis of what we're going to talk about. Have you ever thought about what a disaster it would be if the cells in your eyes started producing the same hydrochloric acid that is made by your stomach cells? Your stomach cells produce hydrochloric acid to help break down food, but you definitely don't want that in your eyes. Thank goodness that doesn't happen. But it's surprising because both your eye cells and your stomach cells contain all of your DNA. Your DNA, all of it, is found in your body cells. But see, the portions that are used need to be regulated somehow. Otherwise, we could end up with something ridiculous, like eye cells producing hydrochloric acid. And that wouldn't just be a waste of resources, that would actually be very difficult to explain to your friends. You want genes to be regulated, controlled. Remember that genes are made up of DNA. DNA is used to give instructions for the production of proteins in the process of protein synthesis. But an important concept is that there needs to be a method of determining which genes will be turned on and which genes will be turned off. This is called gene regulation. And there are many ways that genes are regulated. In your human body cells, you can have proteins that can bind to certain gene regions to increase the rate of transcription for the transcription enzyme RNA polymerase. 
or you can have proteins decrease transcription to the point that it may not be transcribed at all. This is a form of gene regulation. Your eye cells don't use the portion of DNA that codes for making hydrochloric acid like your stomach cells do, because there is regulation in your cells to determine which portions of the DNA is used. But we want to shift gears now to talk about a very interesting way of regulating genes that can be sometimes a little challenging to visualize. This particular method is really found in prokaryotes, a few eukaryote exceptions. It's called an operon. An operon is a fancy way of regulating genes, and it's usually made up of a few genes that can involve enzymes. Remember that enzymes are proteins with the ability to break down or build up the substances that they act on. Now let's talk about some key players in an operon so that we can see some gene regulation here. First, RNA polymerase. It's a builder. A builder enzyme, actually, because RNA polymerase is an enzyme. In biology, a lot of enzymes end in that ASE. RNA polymerase is needed in order to start transcription. Remember that transcription and translation are steps in protein synthesis. Protein synthesis means to make proteins, enzymes in this case. The thing about RNA polymerase, though, it gets a little confusing for RNA polymerase without somewhere to bind. If you watched our DNA replication video, you learned about DNA polymerase and how it had to have a primer to know where to start. Well, RNA polymerase needs a promoter. A promoter is a sequence of DNA where the RNA polymerase can bind. So you would think, okay, you got your RNA polymerase, you attach it to a promoter and boom, you make your mRNA, which eventually will be used to make a protein. But there's this other sequence of DNA called an operator. The operator is a part of the DNA where something called a repressor can bind. The repressor, if bound to the operator, blocks RNA polymerase, and poor RNA polymerase cannot move forward and no mRNA can be made, therefore no proteins. So let's take a look at our setup here. This is an example called a LAC operon. Notice there's a promoter region of the DNA, the operator region of the DNA, and there are three genes here that code for enzymes that help in the process of breaking down lactose. Lactose is a sugar. If lactose sugar is around, bacteria want these enzymes to be made so that they can use them to break down the lactose sugar. Then they can metabolize it. Fed bacteria are happy bacteria. Here's the repressor. There's actually a gene here that codes for producing the repressor. See this gene that we call I? It has its own promoter. Well, this gene codes for the production of the repressor. So why do we need this repressor? Well, it's wasteful to make things that you don't need. If there's no lactose, it wouldn't make sense to start making enzymes that work together to break down lactose. It would be a waste. The enzyme. All right. So I wanted to pause on that for a second. So, um, uh, damn, it's 2023, right? Damn. So I am trying to recall over 10 years ago, <laughs> but the I sat down with a professor that was responsible for diabetic research, and I was bringing up the LPS, et cetera, et cetera. And it turns out that people that are lactose intolerant have had changes in their genetic code where their repressors are hindered and stuck, meaning the repressors there are not to make, you know, that enzyme and not to create the thing that breaks down lactose. So it's stuck. So I want you guys to think like a key broke in the lock.
So this is why some people have lactose intolerance. Now, if you're lactose intolerant intolerant and from the get-go, from your birth, that means that that gene in your gene pool had at some point been manipulated and that has carried on. Now, can you change the way your genetics are read? Meaning, can you change the way the code is read on your DNA? Well, that's something that, you know, uh, Craig Ventner has had a really big problem with. And I would say that would be down to retro transposons. So this is why uh, la- people that have um, lactose intolerance take specific medications to cover the deficit that their genetic code is busted up and they have intolerance. Now, Some people might have developed lactose intolerance later. Some people have it before. Usually this is done through pharmaceutical interactions, Um, you know. And it's funny how all these, you know, intolerances to gluten or meat or lactose happen, you know, in, in, in the Western world. You don't see starving people in Africa you know, having intolerance to gluten and lactose and meat and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, And when I say people in the African continent, I mean those that have not participated in any, you know, (laughs) those tribes that have not participated in any, you know, Bill and Melinda Gates help situations. So, um, I, I just want people to understand that there are ways that you can re- do a hard reset um, to stimulate, you know, a jump statement in your code. And uh, a lot of people uh, lean that toward uh, dry fasting uh, and uh, swear by it. Uh, I don't know. I don't think that I would survive dry fasting for more than, you know, 24 hours. And that would mean that I'd have to be sleeping throughout that whole time. Uh, But I just wanted to point that out, that there are ways that we are using now pharmaceuticals to make up for the genetic defects. So for those that are lactose intolerant or have friends, uh, you know, just listen to how, you know, this plays out. Sometimes would just sit there. So if lactose is not present, then the repressor binds to the operator, and this blocks RNA polymerase. So mRNA cannot be made, and therefore the proteins, the enzymes in this case, cannot be made. But if lactose is around in the environment, something pretty cool happens. The lactose, remember that's the sugar, binds to the repressor. This changes the repressor's conformation. Try as it might, the repressor cannot bind to the operator. RNA polymerase finds its promoter, binds, and transcribes to make the mRNA from the genes on the operon. That mRNA will be used to make enzymes to break... Let me explain the visual on this. So lactose, so let's say you have some ice cream, right? And that's like everywhere and you've got lactose circulating. So it goes into your cell. And what happens is the repressor who's binding to that specific area, you know, that kicks, you know, the operon, um, you know, wants to bind there, but because lactose got onto it, it changed its structure. So imagine it like a key that goes into a keyhole, Right. Because the lactose bound to it because it, it, it's attracted to it kind of like, oh, that's where I'm supposed to go. And the lactose goes, lock and key, it changes the key shape from a regular key to one of those circle ones and it can't bind. So then the process begins. Um, it's, 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 
it's intricate but simple at the same time. Down the lactose sugar. And bacteria like to eat, so that makes them pretty happy. We have to say that we think it's pretty impressive to think about all the gene regulation that occurs in cells. And if you find it fascinating, know that there are careers that focus on gene regulation and understanding how genes can be turned on and turned off. Because by doing that, we can gain a better understanding of a variety of diseases that have gene influences in the human body. Well, that's it for the Amoeba Sisters. And we- yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't think that that shutting genes off and turning them on is the right way to go. Uh, that's just my two cents. And on top of that, unfortunately, if you have the eyes of a biologist only, uh, you know, you cannot solve or you cannot reverse engineer something so incredible like the human body. So um, it's a, it's important for us to understand that even though they started these whole IBS programs, that's what I was part of, and you know these STEM research programs. Again, these are all scientifically inclined people. It's almost like you know geniuses that get juris doctorates and MDs. Right? They see both sides of things. They have the scientific structure in their thought, but also the artistic quality of wordsmithing, which allows them to be more effective when analyzing medical issues. Um, yeah, IBS is like an inter-something-something inter program. Uh, that was uh, the program that I was part of at UK. Um, you know, it was part of what I was doing. So, okay, so let's see what um, these mechanisms are now. And I'm trying to find this. I'm trying to find the video with the Twizzlers. Okay, here it is. I wanted to explain what transposable elements are. And I found this two-minute clip of a lady using Twizzlers to explain it. So that way people understand what it is better. It's important to understand. See, that's the foundation of everything. You know, kids that hate math, it's because their math teacher sucked. Kids that hate science is because their science teacher sucked. You know, you have to understand things in order to learn more. And sometimes, and that's the unfortunate part, we have idiots teaching our younger kids. We should have PhDs that love the crap out of what they do. Like if I was to create my own school, I wouldn't just hire PhDs. I'd hire PhDs that literally shill for the stuff that they love. Like I want a historian that they can't stop talking about history. I want a mathematician that loves math so much that he can explain it to the five-year-old in kindergarten and the kid wants to be a mathematician. Uh, that's the way we should have education, but that's a whole other topic. Um, and, and this is probably why when I would volunteer, uh, I would volunteer to my daughter's schools to teach chemistry uh, in Oregon and in Kentucky. I would just volunteer and take over for the teachers that have been there for 30 years and they suck at explaining Lewis structures, right? How is someone's going to get interested if they don't understand it? You can't like something you don't understand. So 
let's let's like learning about this stuff because this is where we're going and you're going to understand why this mass experiment was so dangerous from my eyes. You know, while people say, oh, we did this, the computer simulation has no idea how ALU elements surrounding the ACE2 receptor in that specific loci interact with spike proteins. It devastated our general immunity. And I mean, if that was the goal of it, then I'd say, okay. But they apparently aren't hitting the goal of destroying your immunity and making you dependent on, you know, patches like software patches. So they've destroyed this. So now they're going to issue a software patch like a booster, right? So I want you guys to understand it. Here we go. It's the Tome Show. Science is easy when the Tome Show does it. Transposable elements or transposons are jumping genes named for their ability to move to another position in the genome. There are two classes of transposable elements, each with unique ways of moving. One is the retrotransposon and the other is a DNA transposon. First, the retrotransposon gets itself copied. There are two genetic languages, DNA and RNA. You can think of DNA as the main blueprint of life, while RNA is the messenger of life, carrying the blueprint to other parts of the cell. The retrotransposon gets the help of the enzyme RNA polymerase to be transcribed or copied into RNA. But the problem is, if the retrotransposon is to be inserted into a new region of DNA, it can't be in RNA. It needs to be in DNA. So the RNA is reverse transcribed into DNA using reverse transcriptase. Now the copied DNA must be pasted into the new part of the genome. Please bear in mind that it is not yet fully understood how the copied DNA is pasted. The target site is where the new copy is inserted. The enzyme integrase cuts the target site, making staggered breaks, or cuts at opposite ends. The retrotransposon is finally pasted in. The remaining gaps are repaired by replicating the DNA on opposite sides using DNA polymerase. Another enzyme called DNA ligase glues the segments together. And that's how the retrotransposon is copied and pasted into a new region of the genome. And what's more interesting about this transposable element is that it is very similar to a type of virus called the retrovirus. An example of a retrovirus is HIV. Now can it be any easier or sweeter? Can it be any more apparent that that's why they use HIV to bind the spike protein that's found on the surface of coronavirus? Could it be any sweeter? I hope you're catching my drift. Now, ALU elements are dangerous when they interact with antagonists for ACE2 receptors. And I'll, and I, and I'll say this in the AL2 elements. Let me explain. ALU elements are not these jumping genes, right? Uh, or I would say jump, you know, codes. 
<laughs> Should I? I don't. I, I mean, I, you guys are understanding the jump statements, right? Um, let me just check the chat because I want to make sure that people are on the same page. I don't want to. Um, so someone's trying to. IBS stands for inter. Um, shoot, intermedical. Uh, interbiological sciences, something, something. I forget. Anyway, um, I want to take a look and see on the chat um, if people are on the same page in regards to understanding ALU elements and jumping genes and how I'm simileing them to uh, jump statements. So the reason why I say this is, you know, AL, ALU elements compared to computing my, are likened to jump or go-to statements in computer programming. So jump statements allow the program to transfer control to another part of a program, while go-to statements can transfer control to an entirely different part of the program or even a different section of code. And that's exactly what ALU elements can jump within the genome and insert themselves into new locations copy-paste, right? You hear them saying they just copy themselves and paste themselves, right? Now, ALU elements can jump within the genome and insert themselves into new locations or manifesting genes that you've cut out. And that's something that I observed when I went to Craig Ventner's lab, right? Where he was trying to create uh, a bacterial cell that shits out fuel, basically. That's why Exxon and Mobile were funding him, right? To change the genetic code to create fuel. And what he noticed, he took the simplest organism, but... It was, you know, knocking out all the virulence. I mean, could you imagine driving your car and having that bacteria and getting up? <laughs> now, this is, <laughs> I just, you know, just the idea of it is ridiculous, but it's not like you'll get a urinary infection, but that bacteria is responsible for UTIs, right, that he's using. So, you know, he cut it down. It's one of the most simplest ones, but there are also transposons, you know, uh, or jumping genes within bacteria too. And what he saw was in a controlled environment, the bacteria existed and simply was at a rest state, meaning all it did was metabolize. He did alter the genome to make it look blue, um, but he found that when he brought it out into nature, meaning not a controlled environment of air, temperature, location, and medium, right, but actually put it out in the wilderness per se, virulence reappeared, knowing that he knocked out those genes. And this comes from these specific areas within genetic code that are considered jumping genes, meaning that they jump from one to another. Now, allow me to insert this statement. If man really came from primate, then there must have been a jumping gene, which there is. Most human beings have a primate jumping gene, meaning they are linked to primates because that code is inserted in their genetic code. Now, uh, this is something that I've been working on for quite a long time to kind of justify their statements, right? And this is just like on the side, you know, yeah, those that know me personally know what a geek I am, okay? So the thought is, if, if indeed, right, mankind derived from primates, then why can we observe insertion points of primate genetic code? That's just the question, right? Because you can see, I, I mean, obviously it, it binds when it copy and pastes itself in the code, you can still see that it was a copy and paste. It's almost like pulling metadata off of a document. 
So then the question lies, how many years ago did someone superimpose a specific coat? Now, is that a fact? I don't know. See, if I worked in a laboratory, I'd definitely find out, right? Because that's one thing I'm good at <laughs> is analyzing the details. Now, but from what I've seen, right, from what I've seen, it is completely that. And they even make that claim. They claim that indeed there was a jump in evolution. No. And this is why they excuse, and listen to this, why you can get pig viruses, pay attention, swine flu, avian flu, and, you know, the whole bat theory. I've explained this to you before. I was a I was part of a federal work study looking at the vaccine for 2009 in 2008. And when analyzing that, my concern, and at that point I was speaking from the point of knowledge that I had, which was I had never had any um, formal education in the sciences, right? I did not. Formal education in the sciences, I had none. So, I looked at it from the knowledge that I had gathered all my life through my various internships. And, you know, I like to think of myself as someone smart and I look at math. And what I did was what I, what I recognized was that we were using, you know, certain elements of porcine DNA um, as the vector. Now, let me explain this to people as simply as possible. When they made the vaccine in 2008 for 2009, every single vaccine, every single flu vaccine that is released to the public is released with new patches. I repeat, patches. One thing they found is that porcine cells developed vaccines a lot faster. But the vector, the cell that you breed it in, you remember how President Trump said, oh, we're only going to be using chicken eggs or whatever. Well, when you're using pork cells, porcine cells, piggy cells, uh, they, uh, it seems to be able to create the vaccine or whatever it is that you want to make faster. But one thing I noticed is that there's always trace DNA. Trace DNA of swine, meaning that that is inserted in your body and in turn will create some kind of code that will integrate it. It's almost like a, a, a break statement in, 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 in programming, right? And a break statement is usually to exit a loop or, or a switch a statement prematurely, right? So when you're presented with a statement like pork DNA and you do not compute, you will break that. You exit the loop of human DNA and then you, con you um, switch or, or you switch the statement that continues executing the code that comes after it, right? But I think that it breaks and then continues, meaning that it, it actually incorporates it. So, you know, I wrote a report saying that we should not be using porcine cells because that would, uh, in my, you know, and this is, and I even said this could be an amateur perspective, but because porcine DNA um, interacts with human DNA so well, and this is why we have pork 
arteries, pork, you know, they use pigs for vessels and stuff, right? Um, and this is from remedial knowledge. I didn't have the full knowledge until, you know, a couple of years later, uh, you know, when I went through formal education. Uh, but what was interesting is, is that I told them that number one, you know, we need to put a notification for those that are Muslim or those that don't take pork products or like the Jews, right? They like kosher stuff. How do they know that was kosher? Right? So I, I said that. So there was the cultural thing. And you know, yeah, that is, that's so lefty. No, it's respecting somebody else's wishes. I don't care if I agree with them. And then the second point that I made, right, was that this would allow for our genetic code to be influenced by diseases and or interactions that affect the swine population to possibly uh, allow for zoonotic transfer of diseases. And lo and behold, that flu vaccine turned out to be the piggy flu in 2009 that took specific people out. Now, um, you know, this is my personal experience and this is fact, right? This isn't like I'm making it up. You can go find the inserts and that information that they were cultivated in porcine cells. So aside from the fact that Obama pushed the shit out of this, right? Um, you know, all the Muslims should be pissed that took it because they're going straight to hell according to their religion, right? That's super haram, right? They've embedded pig DNA in their body. Done. And it won't happen. Um, and, you know, and I've mentioned that I don't like to eat pork. I sometimes still eat that that bacon, the million-dollar bacon. You know what I mean? The bacon that has, like, the honey and stuff. Like, I, it's so tasty. But on the other hand, it's almost identical to human tissue. So it's weird. Um, so yeah. Now, having said that, having said that, this is where I'm going with my explanation today to you. While they talk about mRNA technology and you've heard about CRISPR and all, all that, the actual vaccine itself used mRNA technology to hijack your systems to, to, to write itself and keep populating itself. But it was, I believe, from what I see, that it was their first attempt to manipulate, um, you know, ALU elements. <clears throat> like, they used HIV to alter or mutate our genetic code. This is what I believe. Using HIV to alter or mutate human genetic code is not viable or, or safe approach. This is widely recognized by the entire medical community. So the question should be is, why did they use HIV to ban it? HIV is a virus that specifically targets and infects your immune cells. And it's able to integrate its genetic material into the host genome, which makes it particularly dangerous. So, you know, when people were coming out talking about how, oh, the vaccine changes your code. Yes, it freaking does because it has HIV. And that is the purpose of HIV. HIV exists because it can integrate its genetic material into the host genome. And that is what makes it dangerous. Okay. Because a lot of people talk about HIV. I'm talking about the programming based down of HIV. However, while HIV can insert its genetic material into the human genome, it does so in a random and unpredictable manner. And its insertion can lead to harmful mutations 
or even the development of cancer. Now, genetic changes that result from HIV integration are not controllable or precise. Hence why we have an array of symptoms that people are getting. We have a lot of people that are popping positive with HIV. They call VADES, something that I talked about before the vaccine, you know, and I, I actually love the fact that people underestimate me or dismiss the information I provide because I know they just don't have ears to hear. But so we have VADES, we have people that are rendered almost, you know, unable to do anything, right? And we have people that are rendered infertile. It targets uh, your menstruation cycles, which means that your genetic code, right, the area of where your ACE2 receptors are, they're usually found on the X chromosome at um, uh, at a specific loci of 22.2. But like I said, there are so many ALU elements uh, surrounding that position that there could be an overexpression of one specific to you that would cause, cause um, cancer rapidly in soft tissues like uh, liver and pancreas, hence why we have an uptick, or infertility in younger individuals uh, targeting uh, the semantic uh, the, the the testes, right? Um, the Sertoli cells and um, the ovaries for females. So they're very, and, and those ALU elements that are surrounding the ACE2 receptor are there. And just so you know, the ACE2 receptor, the ACE2 um, target that it has, it just doesn't target your lungs. It targets your GI system. It targets your kidneys, right? It all depends on how you're genetically made up. And, you know, I did say it was racist, right? Black Americans, black individuals that have a specific mitochondrial makeup that derive from what history tells us and what paid science says is Africa. So those with a higher melanin content, let's put it that way, because there are variations on melanin, that's the way it is. From the human genome, if you actually examine it as code, the reason that we have variation in our structures are um, based on certain hormones and expressions. And one is the expression of melanin. You could be extremely fair or extremely dark, or you're right in the middle with the olive people, right? So I, I, I observed that there was a high affinity for a specific ALU um, uh, element that is highly overpresented in those that have higher melanin, which means people that have more darker skin. And it's, it's just freaking crazy because it's the, uh, it's, so the ACE2 is on a, it's, where's it located? Let me get the exact location. Okay. The X2 is located on gene on, on the chromosome X, right? The main one, because you know, there's XX and XY, right? Just, let's just say X, right? So for males, it's only on one, (laughs) at, uh, 152,539,458, and 152,544,327. Um, so the, that's the chromosomal location, right? Now, uh, in short, it could just be considered the XP22.2. Now, in that vicinity, there are a lot of them. But here's the really, really, really important one that I noticed that is amplified in those with higher melanin content. And that's the ALUSG. 
And that is uh, location 152, well, 152,421,262 through 152,421,394. I have to thank TGen for their amazing Helios machine that provides this information. Um, uh, so they've done some great work. Now, the, that specific element belongs to the ALUS subfamily of ALU elements, and it's located at the 9.8 kilobase downstream of the ACE2 gene. Now, that's really, really important. Okay. Again, uh, here's another thing. Do you know how we talk about this in genetics? 9.8 KB, like kilobytes. Are you getting what I'm trying to tell you? It's almost in your face and no one's looking at it. But here's where I'm saying it's racist. The ALUSG, that element that belongs to that subfamily, right, is located downstream from the ACE2 gene. I would say and stake my education on that shit that that has a functional role in regulating the expression or function of the ACE2 protein. And so... I would say that, they, you know, they are um, smart to have targeted that subunit. But on the other hand, remember I told you about these, you know, jumping genes. The ALU elements are, um, are evidence of code insertion, right? So certain, your genes have certain insertions that could be from uh, spontaneous mutations that happen or hereditary mutations that happen, meaning, you know, you have two parents that have, you know, um, weaker, uh, you know, abilities to, you know, digest freaking lactose. I'm just saying the chances of you being lactose intolerant or presenting that is key. Uh, so inserting genetic code to modify the program. So those with melanin have a higher relationship or are located, even though they say it's downstream this much, that's just an average, right? Because I may have, which I don't, I know that for a fact, but I may have an ALUSG element, um, you know, downstream from the ACE2 receptor, but it might not be 9.8 uh, kilobases, which is, you know, 9,800 kilobases downstream, uh, you know, because there's like bi-directional of DNA. So there's upstream going to five, downstream going to three. That's a whole other lesson. But just think of it uh, like you do computers, upstream, downstream, just down the genetic code or up, okay? But mine could be located at 10.5 or 7.3, depends. So again, uh, it's important. So ALU elements, just so you understand, are involved in various biological processes. That includes alternative splicing, gene regulation, and genome evolution. Now, ALU elements can act as enhancers and silencers of gene expression by influencing the binding of transcription factors to nearby DNA sequences. I talked about you uh, in the past about the DOD experiment where they wanted to silence the God gene, right? And a lot of people were circulating this video saying it's Bill Gates and it's not, right? I know exactly who that is. Now, um, the purpose of that was to create a vaccine that would silence a gene that they believe is more present in people that have strong faith, right? Right? 
So they thought we can experiment on these jihadists, which were not motivated. I, I, I strongly believe that while the jihadists used their faith to be so radical that it had nothing, it was not based on that. It was more based on my team, your team, the polarization. This is just my opinion. But anyway, here's an example of a study. In Nature Genetics in 2015, they found that a specific ALU element element located in an intronic region of a specific gene called IRF5 was involved in regulating the expression of this gene in immune cells. So remember, your genetic code, is your whole DNA is found in every single cell, your heart, your brain, your skin, your immune cells, your any any cell that composes you has a nucleus that has all of your DNA. So what they found is is that in immune cells, and this is a very important study that I'm bringing up, there was a specific region of the R IRF5 gene that was responsible for regulating the expression of you know, this gene in immune cells. Now, that research study showed that this ALU element contained binding sites for transcription factors that are important for regulating immune responses and that it can act as an enhancer of IRF5 expression in response to a viral infection. Funny thing. <laughs> So I remember um, back in 2017, because yeah, you know, I don't have to do CME, continuing medical education, but I'm signed up for it because I want to see what's in the know, right? Because um, I'm not a medical doctor, right? Uh, but I went to school. So I registered for all those things. Now, when I saw this study in Nature Genetics, I remember, and here's true million transparency, when I got those questions and I looked at them, and I don't respond to them because then they ask you like to update information and stuff, but I'd go through all the tests. Um, what I found fascinating is that the IRF5 gene, right, it is imperative for viral infection, response. So let's pretend you have an endogenous virus so you just catch a cold because you know you're not wearing a hat or yeah, I believe that stuff or you sat on a cold floor and you're a woman, right? You know, you have different receptors for temperature down there because you have a uterus. So I would be highly against sitting on cold surfaces, but anyway. Um so here we are, 2017 I find this Guess what I did? Guys, I took a whole day. It was a weekend. And I had the biggest pot of coffee. I had a joint and snacks. And all I did was dive into it. And it was one of the most fascinating things because what I realized was that the RF, I, IRF antagonist was actually present, get this, in the MMR vaccines. So the vaccines we give children have antagonists to, well, in essence, they have elements that silence the IRF expression. Now, that could have been just a hiccup or a simile, or maybe they could say, well, we don't have any, that's because you're not looking, right? So that was interesting. Now, having said that, then there's another study. The Genome Research um, 
study in 2016 that identified a large number of ALU elements that are located in, get this, gene promoters. You just understood what a gene promoter is, right? Suggesting that they may play important roles in regulating gene expression. So going back to my statement, Remember the video with the Amoeba Sisters where I showed you how a gene promoter was required in order to promote the production for the lactose thing, right? This is why I showed that video. Well, now take it this way. If it's downstream, right? If it's downstream from the ACE2 receptor, right? Downstream, and you saw where it was, downstream is where gene promoters are. If the location of the ALU segment more highly, that has a higher concentration, I guess, and those that have more melanin in their body, if it's found downstream, then that means that the promoter may have been silenced because of the interaction that the spike protein had with the ALU element downstream. So what's dangerous is, and this is what I don't like, is the misinformation they're putting out. They're calling it mRNA technology, but in fact, they're trying to fuck with ALU elements that they don't even understand. ALU elements play important roles in gene expression, diversity of gene expression, and, uh, you know, uh, and jumping from one area to another. You know, while they talk of CRISPR, this is, this is, this is the problem. We have a bunch of people that are, you know, that are wearing blinders of a specific field of science and we don't have right think tanks. We don't have good think tanks. I'm telling you this now. Most of the shit you see in the media right now from politics to science to education are pompous idiots that are supposedly think tanking. Because let me tell you this, if I was in the conversation of this COVID thing, regardless of how it happened, you know, it's a bioweapon, regardless, however, I would have been in the think tank kicking out most of the doctors and saying we need more coders in here, right? And we need people that actually have a brain to think outside the box. But, you know, it was all intended. So, so anyway, so uh, going back, right, this is exactly how it was done. Now, jump statements don't transfer data to another program, right? They're used to transfer control to another part of the program. Um, they're, you know, designed to use um, control structures like loops and switch statements or error handling routines. That's exactly what your ALU elements do too, certain ones. So ALU elements have stretches of DNA that can jump or transpose. That's why they're called transposons, right? From one location in the genome to another. Similar to how a jump statement in a computer program can transfer control to another part of the program. And this is exactly what I observed and what I believe is the observation I made. Obviously, I don't work for Credventor. I was just there, right? But what I observed was exactly that. When he put it out into the, 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 the ether, into a natural environment, outside of a protected and controlled environment, you know, his bacterium it, it expressed that. Basically, an ALU element transferred control for virality to another section of the genome that was a sleeper, right? What people call junk DNA. Now, when an ALU element jumps, it can insert itself to a new location in the genome, causing a mutation in the DNA sequence. Now, this mutation can be for benefit or to hinder. 
And this can have an array of issues depending on where the ALU element lands and how it interacts with nearby genes. Again, everybody knows that ALU elements interact with nearby genes. And these sneaky fuckers, excuse my French, right? We're using mRNA as a segue where people have studied it as a lie because they were not using actual mRNA technology. They're technically fucking Fauci. They were targeting the ALU elements and experimenting that, right? And they targeted the black population because the way it was targeting the ACE2 receptor was high, it has a high affinity for a very specific ALU element. And that's my opinion right? I don't write papers. I'm not part of a university. And even if I was, they probably would have silenced me. But this is fact. The, 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 the ALU element was the one that was affecting the response. And I think they were more pissed off because, you know, those that they were targeting were least likely to get the vaccine. It was the, it was the intelligent. <laughs> oh my God, I can't even say that with a straight face. It was the intelligent intellectuals of colleges that lined up and took it with no questions asked. Now, let me give you another example. Um, if an ALU element jumps into a region of the genome that regulates expression of a nearby gene, it could disrupt the normal regulation of that gene too, leading to changes in its expression or function. So now this circles back to the lactose intolerance thing. There are a lot of intolerances that people get. Remember that tick virus that they were saying that was going around, thanks Plum Island, that would make people get sick if they ate red meat? Kind of like that. Going back to the amoeba sister thing, remember the suppressor and, you know, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, think of it this way. The ALU element right? That's the ALU elements that surround a gene specific for, uh, for, for something like, I don't know, COVID, right? Can disrupt the normal regulation, which means this is why we have long COVID. This is why we have permanent issues in smelling because it was targeting the brain cells of the olfactory. But anyway, that's another story, right? It, the ALU element has now disrupted the normal regulation of that gene because of the insertion and attempts to change it. That is exactly how that tick virus works. That tick virus, I could be bitten by that tick, but I won't have a problem with, um, you know, the processing of meat because I lack a specific um, ALU. Okay, and let me tell you about that, right? So... Um, wait, hold on. Let me find it. Let me find, I think it was like PB92. I need to Google it. You know what I have to say? When I was at Joe Oatman's place um, for them to do their show, I was kind of impressed. They actually prepare for their shows. And I'm like, damn, I'm the only one that doesn't prepare. Like they had like an outline of what they wanted to. I, I, I wreck it all the time when I go there. But, you know, they're, they're so organized. And I'm sure other people... Um, <laughs> organized better too. Ah, okay. So, um, let's, let's find this. Hold on. Okay. So remember when I told you about, yeah, it is PV92. There we go. Finally found it. It's like they're hiding this information for real. So, um, when I was in college and we were testing for, um, ALU insertions, right? There's a specific location called a PV92 locus. It's also known as the ALU insertion site, 
PV92. It's a specific location in the human genome where an ALU element is present. The PV92 locus is located on chromosome 16, and it's named after the scientist, Perry, in 1991, who discovered it. Hence, PV stands for Perry Vulcan, the two guys that found it. The PV92 locus is of particular interest to geneticists and anthropologists because the presence or absence of the ALU element at that site varies among individuals and populations. And it is actually used as a genetic marker to study human population history, migration pattern, as well as to investigate the inheritance of traits or diseases linked to nearby genes on chromosome 16. And, um, you know, maybe later on this week, I can have a whole segment on chromosome 16 because chromosome 16 is one of, well, you know, technically it would be chromosome 17, but whatever, you know, they label it as they want, right? Um, that's just an argument. I mean, there's other people that make an argument that it should have been labeled 15, but you know, it's whoever, right? Um, but that is a specific loci that they look for, that ALU insertion, because that shows the evolution of humankind. So, you know, as their research say, some people don't have it and they don't understand why. Uh, because, you know, that's a, the prime indicator of where primates, that is your link to being a primate. You have to have specific ALU elements. And you know what ALU elements are? It's kind of like an antivirus system. Does that sound dumb? Not a, maybe operating system. It's, it's a very specific, ALU elements are how I see it is like, they're the, the operating system to tell the genes what to do. And, you know, the operating system is how you get everything working. But it seems that there was a change or a, an, 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 yeah, change that you went from like Windows to Mac at the PV92 locus. I hope you understand that. That um, the jumping genes, as they call them, the ALU elements, there's a ton of them in your genetic code. All surrounding genes. Expressions for you know disease, if you're more prone to have this or that, or if you're you know, prone to get diabetes or, you know, you're going to get fat or whatever, right? They all have ALU. Think of it like the OS surrounding it. Like the gene can't function without the ALU. Now, this is totally against what mainstream does because they can't get funding for it because no one's actually investigated it. But they did determine that the insertion at PV92 loci, right? In 1991, they discovered this indicates that there are different genetically altered human beings. Some people have it, some people don't. The people they don't, they can't target. So this is why I was into the quorum sensing um, over a decade ago and, and followed that bone because, you know, with all this talk with computer programming, I mean, you would think that people would be better at this. I mean, for the public. I don't expect the scientists at universities to do anything. They're just like puppets. They go with the information. It's like, it's like telling, like having a university. Let's just imagine this. We have a university uh, on, on the moon, right? And in, uh, at the moon, they know that everything there is silicone based, that it's flat, 
and that the earth is just a star that gives them lights and pretty colors, right? And then they're studying based on those facts, right? And their number system is not like ours. So they study based on that. It's like they're all in like these little, you know, fish bowls with um, information that they're provided and, you know, whereas you, the people, I mean, in the age of information, ignorance is a choice. You have, you have more capabilities than any scientist sitting in any laboratory right now to figure out what's really going on. I'm just saying there's so much. Your DNA is one of the most hackable pieces of software there is. And that can be hacked by various mechanisms either endogenously from the fact of you putting something in your body voluntarily and even through thought. There's research on that too, right? Mind over matter. And then there's external influences such as your environment that again involuntarily enter your system. So I wanted to play this guy's video, but he's like so bad. I wanted to go to this guy who talks about, he's a little bit woo, but I like what he did kind of. He talks about genetics and evolution. And um, I think this is important that I throw this in right now because it's, it's kind of where I see your moods going to. I think most of you are catching my drift here. All right, let's play this. And people seem to really love that. So enjoy a little biodiversity. As you may know, I was recently on the Sam Devis podcast, When Belief Dies, to answer some questions that Sam had about evolution. I was responding to some things that John Lennox had said when he visited Sam's podcast, and we ended up just covering pretty much every question that people have about evolution when they're coming from a young earth creationist or intelligent design background. So it was a really cool conversation. The clip that I'm going to show you here is where we start discussing transposable elements, also known as jumping genes. You can find a link to the entire podcast down in the video description. Jumping genes are not well understood by the general public, and because of this, anti-evolutionists have recently latched on to them, claiming that jumping genes somehow contradict evolution. On the website evolutionnews.org, which is actually a creationist website disguised as a real science blog, those little rascals. Over there, they suggest that jumping genes are evidence of intelligent design. On Ken Ham's website, Answers in Genesis, jumping genes are claimed to be the tools of God, allowing creatures to reorganize their own DNA after the flood. So here is Sam's question about jumping genes, followed by my response. And for the record, Barbara McClintock, the discoverer of jumping genes who we talk about, she was not an anti-evolutionist. She appears to have understood what most biologists understand today. Jumping genes came about through the process of biological evolution. Here's the clip. Barbara McClintock, and not saying she necessarily you know, kind of like swings one way, one way or the other, I'm not sure, but I know lots of theists use her work, especially with... Um, a specific sort of crop and um, sort of gene splicing it can do itself as potential pointers to the intelligence that again genes can have i know you've already touched on this but it's just it's just such it is almost like one of the pillars of theistic evolution uh, i just think it's really important to kind of touch on it so kind of would you mind kind of give us your view kind of on gene splicing of a specific crop and why that therefore makes some theists believe that there must be an intelligence within the gene mm -hmm. uh, to make it make those switches if uh, a certain section of the genome is damaged barbara mcclintock was a corn geneticist 
She's a geneticist, and she worked a lot on corn. And back in the 1940s, she discovered what we now call transposable elements, or commonly called jumping genes. These are stretches of DNA, genes within our genomes, genes in the genomes of corn and pretty much everything, which are able to jump around within the genome. So they can actually, some of them will cut themselves out and then insert themselves into a different spot in the genome. They they code for a protein that can allow them to do that. And then others will actually just make copies of themselves. They will make a copy of their, their genome and just insert that somewhere else in the host's genome. Jumping genes obviously can cause all sorts of chaos. They are considered mutagens. They cause mutations. Every time they just move around, even if they're just ones that do the uh, cut paste, moving around can cause all sorts of chaos inside the genome. Uh, the ones that can copy and paste, those obviously they can fill up your entire genome. You could be nothing but this transposable element. You could be nothing but this jumping gene. So they're very uh, detrimental to an organism. However, when we find these in our genomes, and by the way, our genome consists, like almost like 40% of our genome consists of transposable elements. And when we find these elements, we see that they are being suppressed by other stretches of DNA in our genome. So we are producing molecules that actively suppress these jumping genes so that they can't jump. And actually, most of the jumping genes in humans are, are extinct jumping genes. They've suffered a mutation that stopped them from being able to do what they used to do. We can tell they're jumping genes by their sequence, but then we see that they're broken. Uh, point mutations have broken them. So they're ancient remnants of past jumping genes. One of the things that Barbara McClintock discovered, she was working with strains of corn that were super, super inbred. And they were inbred to the point that there was all sorts of problems with the corn. And she found that sometimes the problems could be fixed, like these jumping genes, they would cause new traits to emerge. Just when a chunk of DNA moves to a new spot in the genome, it can cause a new trait. Some, sometimes they would cause a new color of the leaf. Sometimes they, they'd cause a new color of the, uh, the uh, corn kernel. And sometimes they would reverse negative mutations that have happened in the past just by moving around and you can actually re reverse some damage that had been done earlier. There is an adaptation that we know of in bacteria. It's called the SOS system. It's a whole system that when a bacteria is really stressed out, when its, when its DNA is being damaged, it starts producing a protein that will stop the cell from trying to reproduce. When a cell is reproducing, that's a really stressful thing to be doing. It takes a lot of energy, and it can cause DNA damage in and of itself. And so when there's already DNA damage in the cell, the bacteria will produce a protein that stops the cell from trying to reproduce. And instead, it will focus all of its efforts, all of its energy on trying to repair the damaged segments of DNA. And then, once that's sufficiently repaired, it will start reproducing again. The SOS system is obviously an adaptation that bacteria have evolved for survival and reproduction. And one of the arguments that some scientists have been making that, no, is no. that jumping genes might be an adaptation as well that's very similar to the SOS system. And the reason they have been... So this is the problem that we have. 
we try to make findings align with what we know. Just so you know, Barbara McClintock, just like Bonnie Bassler, was shamed by people when she came out, you know, looking at this. She started research after... um, Gregor Mendel's work. Um, I I studied that really, really (laughs) in depth at the University of Kentucky, um, you know, where he was using the inheritance of pea plants. I mean, everybody knows the whole pea pea plant theory and how they understood that there's dominant and not so dominant portions of the genes in regards to expression. This is why, oh, negative blood type is so Uh, you know, rare because you need to have two recessive genes, meaning that, you know, they get dominated. So it's kind of like they're the color white and um, anything you mix with white will make the other color paler, but it will present as red. So if you put red and white together, it'll still look red. It'll just be another hue of red, like maybe pink, right? So recessive means that it, it doesn't overwhelm the expression, of whatever quality you want to see, either color, uh, disease expression, whatever it is, right? Just so you understand. So like, oh, negative blood type, you have to have two recessive uh, portions in that genetic code, uh, which means that, you know, if your dad is O negative and your mom is O positive, you may be heterozygous, which means you may be expressing O positive, but you may be half O positive, half O negative. Make sense? So um, I strongly disagree because they were trying to discredit McClintock when she talked about this. Like they didn't like her. You know, they were all hostile to her. They hated her. They said, you know, they didn't understand it. So just leave it alone. They wanted it to to go around the Watson Crick shit too. I'm just saying. But it wasn't until the 60s where they recognized the fact that there were steps leading from DNA transcription to mRNA and the translation of the RNA messenger into the amino acid sequences that make proteins were established. And that's where her research came in. Now, you know, for me personally, I mean, let's, if we could have someone here from the 1800s and we feed them the food we eat and the water we drink, they would probably die. That's just a statement on its own. Now, let's continue to hear what this guy has to say. Because some of it is, this is mainstream, right? I've been making this argument is that normally jumping genes are not jumping around in the genome. They only start jumping around when a cell is really, really stressed out. And so they're saying, oh, well, maybe this is like the SOS system. Maybe what's happening here is that when the plant is really stressed, what that means is that whatever it's it's doing isn't working. And so in a desperate attempt to uh, try something, try anything that might make things better. It's going to just let these jumping genes jump all over the place, mutate the heck out of its genome, and then maybe it will suffer a mutation that happens to help it. This is what we call mutational rescue. And there is evidence that mutational rescue has helped plants in the past. Uh, we know that there are beneficial mutations, uh, beneficial gene sequences that plants have that were caused by jumping genes moving around in their genomes. And because jumping genes really only move around when the plant is really stressed, the obvious conclusion here is that this, these adaptations were the result of mutational rescue. So the argument that scientists are making, they're arguing, some of them, and this is a minority, they are arguing that jumping genes evolved for rearranging our genomes when there's an emergency. Intelligent design advocates have latched onto this, and they're saying, oh, look, jumping genes are a form of 
intelligent engineering. These, these genes are engineering the genome. They are intelligent entities. And it's kind of a weird argument because they're, <laughs> I'm not totally sure where they're trying to go with this because the intelligent design community exists to argue for the existence of God and he's the intelligent designer. But now they're saying that there's these jumping genes that are also intelligent designers. They're just using this to kind of like throw in some woo-woo muck into the waters. Like, oh, look, there are these intelligent agents that are inside of our genomes and they help us adapt to new situations. Therefore, Jesus rose on the third day. <laughs> you know, it's kind of... I cut him off, right? I had to cut him off. Because Barbara McClintock actually said that this was, you know, more like this. The fact that they're trying to make her narrative fit is ridiculous. Now, one thing I need to say is that the ACE2 receptor that COVID apparently targeted is very interesting. Now, as we know, the ACE2 receptor is on different cells and different parts of the body, GI, respiratory, kidneys, you name it, right? And... um. It, uh, its job is pretty much regulating blood pressure by converting um, angiotensin 2 uh, to angiotensin 17 or 1-7, um, which has vasodilatory effects. So that means expanding your blood vessels to get more blood flow in places. Well, basically helps in lowering your blood pressure. Pressure gets high when there's constriction and it's harder for the blood to go through. When it's more relaxed, it's lower, there's no pressure, and it's just kind of flowing. And it's quite interesting because, um, you know, your blood pressure regulates everything from everything in your body, right? And I found it quite fascinating that they targeted, well, that the specific um, ALU uh, elements uh, surrounding the ACE2 receptor were being targeted, uh, which would, I, I guess it would make sense because you can make it look like a respiratory illness, even though a lot of people um, had other issues. But it's, it's quite important for us to understand what these jumping genes are in the essence of, you know, when was the first one done? And, you know, what one thing he said that was smart um, and is important to understand is that there are mechanisms within your genetic code to help fix issues. Like for example, sometimes women will get pregnant and just abort, you know, seven weeks in, nine weeks in, 12 weeks in, and then they're devastated. But in essence, the uh, abort process happened because there was an error um, in, you know, on a scientific level, there was an error in the genetic code and therefore it ceased to continue. So there was a suppressor for continuing the growth. Um, and, and that happens. The only time that we see that errors that, you know, your DNA has amazing ways of uh, proofing its code, right? But just like all programmers, sometimes there are external factors um, like genetic mutations within the human being that will allow for, you know, uh, genetic abnormalities to appear such as, you know, um, you know, Down syndrome, for example. Uh, so it's, it's, or bypassing the fact that, you know, one, um, one child growing has microcephalia, right? Or, you know, has no brain, right? <laughs> no actual big brain. And it, and it doesn't seem to prove itself correctly because 
of insertions that have been done in that person's genetic code too. Um, now, one might say, well, that's harsh. And it's like, well, you know, scientifically speaking, that would make sense. And for those that are programmers that are listening to this, you get what I'm saying. And if people start looking at their genetic code as code, maybe they'll understand more of their creator, their original, air quote, programmer. Again, bringing the similes, God is in the clouds. What else is in the cloud? Data. It's almost as if they're mocking you. And all of us need to understand the example that I said previously, bringing someone from the 1800s or 1700s or 1500s today and having them drink our water and food, they'd probably die because we've been modified. And, uh, you know, it, I, you know your, your program will not transpose um, direction. And, and think about it. Think about it in this sense. Why would someone use, uh, you know, a jump statement? Like, why would someone use a jump statement? You know what? Let me find a nerd that can tell us this. Hold on. Why would you use a jump statement? Okay. Let's see. I want something that looks fun. Let me see. Can we understand him? Crystal clear explanation. Okay. That's what the, the comments say. So I'm going to go with it. So none of you, not all of you are engineers, but let's just watch this. It's part of C programming. I think it's important that we understand the simile. Let's see. Here we go. Hi, everyone. This is Atik. Welcome to my channel, Engineering Drive. Today, I'm going to discuss the final concept of control statements, the final type of control statement that is jump statements okay in my previous set of videos i already discussed with you selection statements that is if and switch and then i discussed with you iteration statements while do while and for and the third important category of control statements today i am going to discuss is jump statements okay and i already told you in my introduction video itself of this control statement that these statements are used to control the execution of the statements generally our c program starts execution from top to bottom how the how you have written the statements as it is they are executed as it is you will get the output sometimes we want to control the execution of statements depending on some condition or depending on some by by making use of some keywords then at that time we can make use of this control statements and today i will be focusing on how to use the jump, jump statements in the program and what are the types of jump statements supported by our C language. So our C language supports three categories of jump statements. One is break, another one is continue and the last one is go to. Okay. So what are the three types of jump statements? Break, continue and go to. So if you have watched my previous set of videos of control statements that is selection and iteration, you might have got some idea that I have already used this break jump statement in those programs okay so already you, you might have known the use of break keyword but here once again i will be telling you how this break keyword is used how this continue keyword is used and how we, we need to make use of this go to keyword in the program and what are the purposes of this various types of jump statements okay so before i am going to discuss about break keyword and continue keyword let us have one program now so if you see this program you you should have you might have guessed one output now 
here i have used for loop and already you know that for a loops are used to repeat part of the program now here by seeing the starting value of i and by seeing the condition and by seeing the increment part you might have understood that i want to display how many numbers here i want to display five numbers one two three four and five and they are displayed in line by line because i have used here backslash n so the normal output of this program expected output of this program is one two three four five okay now let us use break keyword now in this program now small change i am doing in this program now otherwise you will get output one to five numbers so here what i am doing if i is equal to if i is equal to let us say four next line i am using one keyword break now what output i will get in the program let us see see here my dear students up to one you will get number one as output as it is the loop will repeat normal for number one for number two also the loop will repeat normal for number three also the loop will repeat normal but when the i value will become four what happened this condition will become true if i is equal to four condition will become true once the condition will become true this control will enter into this break keyword what this break keyword will do it will exit the loop okay so here i have forgot to write closing brace okay so here the closing brace ends so it will exit the loop what is the meaning of exiting the loop once it will exit the loop control will come out of the loop next line is get ch program will close so what will get output 1 2 3 you will not get 4 and 5 here okay previously oh my gosh so i was talking all this time recapping i apologize i didn't notice that i was i muted myself um So let me just explain this. So we have him showing you what you know a loop is, right? And it's um, for i or x or y, whatever the hell you want to call it, right? I is one, and i is always going to be less than five. So it can be any number less than five. So you will have your program pushing out. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Constantly is a loop, like constantly running that program. Let's say, okay, I'm just making a super remedial. But you've put in a code that says stop, break the loop. Do not repeat by putting in that number sequence if i is equal to four. In the same way, your genetic code is constantly looping. Make this, make this, almost like the enzymes. Remember. So it's like, oh, we're gonna make like stuff to like degrade lactose, and then it's like that disruptor comes in. He's like, nah, man, that's not happening. I'm blocking this. But what happens? The loop is broken, right? The loop is broken, meaning the loop of them trying to create enzyme enzymes and being stopped is broken when you know the lactose is present because then that guy can't bind. So that's a break in the program. I, I'm trying to use the visuals from the previous one to to make it kind of similar so you understand. Your genetic code works in the same way. There are certain uh, you know. Uh, Things that need to be satisfied, like for example, infection, it goes in your gut. That's another thing, right? These spike proteins are eliminating tons of gut biomes. And while doctors are issuing probiotics and all that crap, that's never going to fix it because they just assaulted ALU elements, which do so much in loop type programming. But you know, nobody knows about that, so I'm just blowing smoke, of course.
if we won't write this part at all then you will get output 1 2 3 4 5 what happened to number 4 and what happened to number 5 here why the fourth and fifth number have not been displayed because here we have encountered break keyword what this break keyword will do as soon as the i value will become 4 then control will enter into break condition satisfied control will enter into break and it will exit the loop exiting the loop means control will go to the last statement get ch one two three only will get output so a break keyword is used to exit the loop okay generally when the loop will be exited compulsory the loop should repeat five times but sometimes if i want to exit the loop manually then at that time i can make use of this break keyword and one more use of break keyword is already we have discussed in switch there if we want to terminate the sequence of cases there also we can use break keyword so break is nothing but stop here control will go to next part that is the simple meaning of break keyword okay and another type of jump statement so why we are calling them jump statement you might have got idea now control is getting jump from here to after the loop which is get ch that's why we are calling it a jump next type of jump statement is continue so how to make use of this continue keyword same program okay remove this break here okay remove this break keyword and here you write down continue semicolon okay now what difference what what is the difference between break keyword and continue keyword you will come to know in this program so my dear students up to number one up to number two and up to number three we will get same output no problem but as soon as the i value will become four i is equal to four condition true false true control will enter into continue what this continue keyword will do it won't take the program out of the loop it is not a break keyword rather going to the next line it will take the program to the next incrementation which means already i value is four four will not get displayed at all so it will go to next i incrementation so here now i value is four so what happened four plus plus five five less than or equal to five condition true false true control will enter here and you will get five again it will go to check the next uh, incrementation four plus plus means that is five plus plus means six six less than or equal to five condition will become false control will go to get ch program will close so you will get the output one two three and five what happened to four why 4 is not displayed here because we have used whenever the i value will become 4 we have used continue keyword this continue will keyword will take the control to the next incrementation next iteration so because of that it will skip displaying that number so what happened if i take i value 3 at that time it will skip displaying number 3 so what you will get answer 1 2 4 5 so this is continue keyword so this is also one type of jump statement that can be used in the program and the last category of jump statement is go to many of the advanced programming language they have avoided the use of go to keyword but still our c language supports the use of go to as we know if we just go through the meaning of go to go to means if we says if we say this word to someone yes go to that particular place then we are saying to that person to move from one place to another place similarly go to keyword is also having similar usage let us see I will clear i will uh, tell you with an example program i have written one program when i execute this program what output i will get this is our university name so first line i will get jawaharlal so the expected output of this program is i will get jawaharlal so i am writing in short form for uh, 
due to to reduce the time jawarlal next technological space technological next nehru and next university but it is not our correct university name we want jntu as our university name but we are getting jawarlal technological nehru university why we are getting space because we i have given here space for that reason we will get space don't think you will get output in short form for my simplicity i am writing like that you will get full name jawarlal technological nehru university which is not the correct name now without changing this order i want to display our university name in proper order now so how i can correct it so here you need to make use of go to keyword how to use go to keyword means first printf is okay jawarlal is correct so i don't want to change my output jawarlal is okay after jawarlal i want which one to display nehru so to that what i am doing for the next three printfs i am keeping one label x colon this is one label next for second printf y colon for next printf z colon we call this x comma y comma z are labels so to denote this printf technological i am using x label to denote the printf nehru i am using y label to denote the printf university i am using z label now after displaying jawaharlal i want which printf directly i want the control should go to y label what is there under y label nehru so which means after this you write down go to keyword go to space name of the label what is the name of the label here y semicolon so first jawaharlal will display next i want nehru so for that reason go to keyword i am using go to y so control will directly jump to y label now and what it will display it will display nehru okay after displaying nehru i want technological to be displayed now what i should do here go to what is the name of the label under technological about technological we are having x go to x so when i use go to x again from here control will jump to x label so i will get technological okay after technological what i want the last printf i want to display under z label which is university so where i should write now go to keyword now here so here you should write go to z so go to z means control will come back to this z university will display and as it is the last statement get ch and your program will close so finally we get the output jawaharlal nehru technological university so you got one clear idea about how i have used go to keyword here so go to keyword is mainly used to move the position to move the execution from one point to another point from so you the simple syntax is use the keyword go to space label so whatever the label you have provided directly control will jump to that label and whatever the statement is there, that statement will be executed so what he was showing you is how you can use a certain statement like go to to say when things are executed that's exactly what your genetic code does now to end the show today i thought i would um and i'm running a little bit late but i wanted to you know for all my trolls out there if they actually find some of my covers because i'm pretty sure nothing dies on the internet they'll see that when it comes to programming the only thing i said i am familiar with is small talk now let me end with small talk 
So small talk had a general purpose of object orienting programming. Basically, it means that there were no primitives and control structures like procedural language and that things were treated as absolute nodes or objects, right, by sending messages uh, like that. So basically, in small talk, there's no concept of data types like integers or Boolean uh, characters and all these are treated like objects, like a pencil or a desk or a shoe or a human being or human interaction or an emotion, just just adding, adding. Um, it is what influence programming languages like Python, Ruby, um, C, plus whatever. But one thing that I... Um, I should point out, and this is to those that like to look at things, right? Um, VA small talk. Now, VA small talk was fun. It's, uh, it's the visual age of computer integrated development environments from IBM. And it supports a ton of programming languages. But believe it or not, it was, um, I was fortunate enough to be, I've told you that I was in the nerd schools, right? To have um, worked on things of this nature when I was a kid. It was supposedly retired uh, back in 07. But in fact, Amber Smalltalk kind of came in. And um, most recently, Oh, how do I say this without saying it? Um, so, in 2005, before uh, a VA small talk, visual age small talk was retired, um, Instantations um, created a relationship with IBM. And so, IBM, so, instant. Sations was um, kind of responsible for the ongoing development of visual age small talk and the technology stuff. So in 2005, um, Instantations shipped uh, visual age small talk, uh, a new 100% visual age compatible version of small talk. And that was part of IBM's comprehensive small talk transition strategy to go. Now, they've removed every single portion of that. And there's a reason for that. Quantum computing. And I'm going to leave it at that. So there's a lot of things that can be taught through um, visual age small talk um, and small talk in general. Because if you actually apply small talk type approaches to molecular code, you are able to see more uh, of what is really uh, happening within your system or your genetics and your history and interactions with stuff. So um, again, you know, for those that like to delve into things more, um, please go ahead. But today, the one thing that I wanted you guys to take home is that this mRNA um, vaccine 
was detrimental because of its interaction with the ALU elements surrounding the ACE2 receptor gene. It was extremely deceptive and this is a crime against humanity because this isn't something that can be undone. And that is what sucks the most, that you can't undo the changes because unfortunately there's no one that knows how to code on a molecular level. So I thought I would introduce you to that so you understand just how smart your body is and understand what the real thing is while they're telling you, you know, this, that, that. They knew what they were doing. And this is why they mocked McClintock so many years ago. They knew exactly what they were doing and how they stick with mainstream. And if you take McClintock's research, take Bassler's research, take Ventner's research, and bring them all together under one roof, you have your answers. So, um, and this is for a more, you know, biological approach. But if you take the perspective of each of those individuals and put them under one roof, that, without the context of medicine, but approach and strategies to tackle and evaluate, you will also understand that there are a lot of things happening right now in respects to your environment, your nation, your country, your politics, and your community. Because that's how you take the 40,000 foot view. A POV that's at the tip of all the POVs. I mean, like I said, while many believe, let's bring an example, that Hunter Biden's laptop, no one's doing anything, that's a lie. Because when Isaac handed over the laptop to the FBI in 2019, the FBI then raided the psychiatrist that was busy drugging and handling Hunter Biden in Boston. And after they raided him, they actually dropped portions of the laptop to start the conversation. But it just so happened that COVID hit and everybody wanted to make money. I'm talking about it. So, and there, therefore, I can understand why Isaac went to um, the mayor's attorney to hand it over. Because he didn't see it happen, but I did. And that's why I had portions of the laptop before anyone. So while many of, their, many of the people out there are telling you nothing's happening, I want to point to that fact that you can check. Google FBI raids Keith Ablo and put Hunter laptop. They introduced that shit to evidence like that. Because I'm pretty sure that Keith Ablo had it since Hunter Biden was so paranoid that everyone was copying his phones and iPads and devices that if you actually look at his hard drive, he's got like multiple freaking backups of his kids, his nieces, nephew, his dead brother's wife that he was banging and doing drugs with. You know, he's got all copies of their phones on there that you can mount into a phone too. But um, again... Don't let anyone tell you that nothing's happening. 
And this is coming from someone that's been busy writing a lot of scripts. And right now, there's no more scripts. So we're good to go. On that note, I'm going to have to disconnect the other feeds while I end the show. So that way I don't get dinged. So goodbye, YouTube and Facebook and um, Twitter. I could leave Twitter. What are they going to do? So let's end today with the end of the world. As you know it. <laughs> See you guys tomorrow. Television telling lies. I know for sure the revolution won't be televised. I know that we've been waiting patiently for better times. We fell asleep and men are blind, can't recognize this genocide. Feel like the bomb about to drop out of the clouds. Another virus going airborne, go hide inside your house. Farmers watching crops die, they drying up with droughts. Angry people forming crowds and trying to burn the cities down. This is Armageddon, martial law for our protection. I talked to God, but it's long distance and I lost reception. Forest fires and oil spills are the awful lessons. I'm just waiting for the devil to take over heaven. This is biblical, I swear it's in the bible we keep killing one another and we dying for survival we used to fight for peace we put our flowers in their rifles now we're about to be extinct every man woman if and child it's the end of the world i will do better next time oh yeah i know it yeah i know it if it's the end of the world i know that i have lived my life to the fullest yeah the fullest we stood on top of Disappearing. Uh, people playing God, call it genetic engineering. Uh, the media misleading us and evil's interfering. While the government we need became the power that we're fearing. Our billionaires are going to space, don't blame them for leaving. Birds are falling out the air, fish washing up on our beaches. This is end times, humans got a deadline. Children were the future till we ruin them with headlines. Should we pass their bedtime, but everyone's woke. They told us chase a dollar that made everyone broke. I feel like cryptocurrency is probably our last financial hope. Soon enough, the government will leave your bank account froze. Judgment day is coming, you can run or you can stand and fight. Panic in the dark or leave rebellions by the candlelight. This ain't your granddaddy's planet Earth, it's black and white. The end is coming, I'll see y'all in the afterlife. It's the end of the world, I will do better next time. Oh yeah, I know it. Yeah, I know it. If it's the end of the world, I know that I have lived my